Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 116 of the Retrospectors podcast, Rain World. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Turlings. James, we've got Christmas in the bag. We're in a new year. It's time for one of our special modern-ish game episodes. Uh, basically, once a year, once a season, James and I take a break from our usual scheduled programming of playing retro games and analyzing them from a modern perspective. And instead, we pick a modern game that we think is interesting, a little off the beaten path, a game that seems to go against the trend of a lot of modern design principles and explore something interesting. In the past, we've done Dark Souls, we've done Celeste, we've done Pathologic 2, and now we are doing Rain World. James, had you heard of Rain World prior to me suggesting it? Had you seen any gameplay footage? Were you familiar with it at all? Did you have any idea of what you were getting into when uh, when we started talking about doing this game as our modern game, the Retrospectors? Oh, yeah, I knew about this game since the day it was announced, honestly. It's always been a game I've had on my radar, but I've always been, like, kind of worried about trying, honestly. It sounded very brutal, but... I was kind of interested in like the aesthetic and I always really loved the visual design of the enemies. I feel like this game's enemies have this weird lifelike quality to them that comes from the way they move uh, kind of, and, and like the way they're animated in their physics and they all have a lot of cool interesting behaviors so I think that was the number one thing I was interested in in this game um, and I expected to die a lot but maybe not as much as I actually hmm. ended up doing so you know it'd be very interesting to talk about yeah this is one i've i've wanted to do it for ages but i've also tried to avoid spoilers as much as possible to the point of not even like watching videos recommending play rain world i haven't listened to podcasts on it it's always been on the peripheral of games of people people talk about this game with such fascination in a way that reminds me of a lot of the cult classic games i like pathologic and dark souls Two of the games that we've played for the podcast that have talked about in a similar way. Uh, but I think I did a really good job in avoiding spoilers. And I think um, I now know why it's talked about in the way it is. So I've been excited about this one for a long time, too. Listen, uh, as I said earlier, I, this is where I normally do my spiel talking about us. Uh, James and I usually look at games from modern lens, but not today. We're doing Rain World, and as such, we're not going to be... We'll still be critiquing and analysing this game from a modern lens, but it's a modern game, so it feels a bit fairer this time around. Um, at a basic level, let's give a bit of introduction about this game. And the thing about Rain World that I want to do a little differently to how we normally do our episodes is spend a significant amount of time just exploring the basic gameplay loop as you... Uh, exposed to it in the first two to three hours of the video game. Rainworld is a game with a lot of moving parts. It's a complex piece, and I think that it's one that resists definition and resists understanding because of how unique it ends up being with all of its elements uh, stuck together. So I want to take some time to paint a picture of what the game actually is for you guys before we start going into great detail about what works about this game and what doesn't. I don't think any of the individual pieces are particularly complex, but the way they come together is pretty unlike any other game I've played. You know, it is at the end of the day like a 2D side scrolling platformer, mm. but there is a lot 
you know, going on under the hood and making the world tick that kind of separates it from other games, I think. Yeah, so let, let's get right into it. So just at a basic level, the premise of the game, it's a 2017 survival platforming game uh, developed by Video Cult and is best described as a 2D side-scrolling survival platformer. It's something that there aren't very much of, but you take the role of a creature called a slug cat, separated from their family and washed away. And slug cat is a very apt description, something that I think we'll delve into deeper when we get into how this game actually controls. You must delve and explore your way through the abandoned ruins of a past civilization, packed to the brim with deadly flora and fauna in an attempt to reach them, and just surviving along the way. Uh, we normally have spoilers for story, but I think it's worth saying front and center that a lot of playing Rainworld is mechanically understanding and coming to grips with this game. So straight up, this is a big spoiler warning. I think that uh, playing Rainworld with no spoilers, with no understanding of what you're getting into, is a meaningful experience. So if Rainworld does seem to be the game that triggers your curiosity and you want to know more about it i'd actually say stop listening now and go play the game because i think that there's a lot to be gained from just playing it with no preconceptions whatsoever that being said the game is complex enough that even us talking and explaining it won't prepare you for the realities of playing the game so i don't think there's a problem with listening either and i think we can talk about some specific mechanics in more general ways without spoiling them entirely yes. and i think that would be fine so in this first bit we'll try to avoid specific mechanical spoilers but uh we will get into those eventually so fair warning. yeah so let's start real big picture. So Rainworld's world is depicted as a massive 2D map, somewhat akin to uh, your typical Metroidvania, Super Metroid, Castlevania, or Hollow Knight. Uh, it's not exactly like that. The map is a little confusing, but uh, that's a good starting point. The map is broken into rooms that you transition between through pipes. And there's a special indicator for the pipes that you use to move between rooms. Not all rooms are separated by these indicators. Mm -hmm. There are some larger rooms. However, the camera is static. And so there will be specific points on the screen that once you, you know, you cross the threshold, the camera will flip over to the next room. Um, something that I got killed by a lot <laughs> in this game, but we will discuss that later. So the world, as Patrick said, yeah, is split up into these kind of like Metroidvania maps connected by basically warp points that you need to crawl into as a slug cat. Yeah, so many of these rooms are single screen in size, but as James said, there's a lot of transitioning happening, particularly in the outdoor areas. Uh, you don't transition right at the edge of the screen, it's slightly before it, but it's still pretty damn close to, to the edge. Um, I also want to highlight here that your character takes up very little room on the screen, um, even less than something like Ori, uh, definitely less room than something like Hollow Knight or Castlevania or Super Metroid. You see a lot of the environment um, relative to the size of your character. Yeah, although even with that in mind, I wouldn't describe the rooms as being generally very large. One of the things the game is trying to do is evoke this feeling of like you being this helpless animal in this like cruel crushing world. And so one of the things it does quite often is that it frames this, these smaller rooms with very thick black borders to give this impression of isolation and, you know, claustrophobia. Mm. So you'll, even though you're very small on screen, a lot of the rooms aren't that big relative to your total screen size. So 
in many cases, I would say that, you know, you're you're generally not a tiny animal in a giant room. You're a tiny animal in small corridors or a more, you know, compact location with lots of nooks and crannies to clamber on. Yeah, but it's not a zoomed-in perspective. It's something that James and no. I have criticised. Well, it's a particular bugbear for me with the old 2D platformers, you know, something like Sonic 1. You can you, you just see so little of what's coming up. Uh, that is not the case in Rain World. You can see what is on the screen coming up, unless they're, as we said, hiding just behind Off a screen, screen transition. Yeah. yeah. So uh, scattered throughout this world are hibernation rooms, which act as the game's save points or safe rooms. In order to save or hibernate, you must have four or more food pips, which can go up to seven total. So you can overfeed and save some for the next cycle. Um, and hibernating takes away four of your food pips. So even if you get to seven, you'll when you emerge, you'll be at three food pips and need to eat before you'll be able to safely hibernate again. And this is character specific. Uh, both James and I played the main game of Rain World without the DLC. Uh, and we played as the recommended class of Survivor. When you play different characters that you can uh, throughout the game, you will get they will have different characteristics as to what kinds of food they can eat, how much food they can eat, etc., etc. But the vanilla intended first experiences as, as a Survivor. So a lot of what we'll be talking about will be specific to that. Yeah, and this kind of like loop of going out into the world, procuring food, and then finding shelter to rest is really is the core component of the early or the entire game even. So each, and they're called cycles, each cycle that you spend out in the wild, there is basically a timer ticking down um, because at the end of every cycle, the rain comes. And the rain in this game is torrential and even deadly. It will basically kill any animal out in the open, uh, not in the shelter. So it kind of acts as a game over. If you don't manage to get to, you know, the shelter with enough food, you will die and have to respawn at the previous uh, point. And these cycles are quite short. They range from six and a half minutes to 13 minutes. So you cannot leisurely take your time in Rain World. That's a really critical thing that I want to return to a lot as we uh, get into the discussion, because I think that it is a, an essential element uh, in the same way that's an essential element in a game like Pathologic. Uh, very few games use this timed mechanic, but the ones that do are very interesting because of the atmosphere they create. Very stressful. Yeah. Uh, the other big system here that's worth mentioning is the karma system. So, uh, Every single time you successfully survive a cycle, that is you reach uh, a hibernation point to hibernate, your karma goes up by one. At the beginning of the game, it caps out at five and you have one as the lowest possible karma you can have. So you gain a karma every time you successfully hibernate and every single time you fail to successfully hibernate, if you get killed or the rain catches you when you die, uh, you lose a karma. Uh, this is relevant because each broader area has these things called karma gates that will prevent you from progressing unless you are at a certain karma level. So you are prevented from progressing through the game eventually unless you can survive subsequent cycles in a row. And different karma gates will have different requirements. Sometimes it'll just be surviving two cycles in a row. Sometimes it will be up to four. Uh, but you cannot just get through the game uh, dying hundreds of times 
at some stage, you're going to need to survive multiple cycles and then reach your karma again. Yeah, theoretically, you could max out your karma in the first level, and then if you were to not die, you would never need to worry about it again. But that's very unlikely. Um, I would have died like hundreds and hundreds of times in this game Mm. and had to up my karma a lot. Now, food's interesting because... It spawns in the world and you go and grab it. So there'll be a room that has these little fruit bats that you can, you know, pick out of the air and eat or you can find fruit. However, the next, like, after you hibernate, the food is not going to be in the same spot on the map because you've eaten it, right? So it moves somewhere else. So you kind of need to be picky and try to explore the world because if you want to get your karma high enough to get through the gate, you're going to need to explore a variety of rooms in the larger area that you're in. Yeah, so I guess what I would say is um, if you want to break down the broad gameplay loop of Rainworld, particularly in these first few hours, um, the times that we spent in the industrial complex, which was a real (laughs) learning by failure experience, it's that when you get to a new area, you start by exploring it. So you're just trying to explore, test the waters, get as far as you can without dying. Uh, you're trying to eat along the way and find sh- new shelters, which will act as new safe points uh, for you to continue your exploration because you won't have to travel through as many rooms. Eventually, with your exploration, you will find a karma gate, which is preventing you from getting to the next area. So you'll have a clear goal in mind of where to progress through. You will then have to probably survive several cycles in a row uh, from the closest safe, safe room to that gate. So you go out in the world and you try and survive successive cycles by going out and eating food so you can go through the Karma Gate and progress to the next area. Now, there's a lot more to this game, but I thought it was worth uh, building you guys a basic idea of what playing this game is like. So to give some context to our discussion. So, James, of all these elements we've talked about, there's the uh, I guess the I guess the other big thing to mention is this game's ecosystem. The ecosystem of this game is probably the most significant, unique aspect of this game uh, that I think is worth delving into and exploring a bit. It's very much a simulation of an ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of systems behind the scene going on that determine how the world works. Uh, There's enemies in this game, lots of them. They move according to very specific behaviors. They all have predefined ways of sensing, attacking, you know, moving around the world, pursuing you. They have different behaviors. There's more intelligent animals that fight in groups. There's enemies that are blind. And all of them like try to simulate a natural part of the world. And a lot of the game is very, it's one of these games with a lot of emergent systems where there's like all of these overlapping systems that end up naturally interacting with each other in interesting ways. Like there's this little physics system going on with throwing items, the way that they, you know, uh, bump off other surfaces. Your character has weight actually if you eat a lot you jump like you don't jump as high because it's simulating you being full of food there's all of this attention to detail stuff in the way your character moves interacts with enemies and the world that makes kind of moving through the world and learning about it quite interesting there is like there is so much to learn about the world and you start knowing nothing so i i do think it is interesting though how quickly it does put you in the 
mindset of a uh, prey sort of creature because when you first start playing you don't know anything about it but you do know that there are things trying to kill you and you do know that there are things you can eat so immediately i feel like the game does a great job uh giving this unique perspective of having to evade and survive uh, to the best of your ability the threats of the world while also uh following those animalistic instinctual urges to eat to survive so while there are a lot of complex systems in the background and things that you grow to learn over the course of the game, I don't think that the basic drive of this game is difficult to grasp. You, no. you eat, you hibernate, and you try to not die. Also, none of those more advanced things are obvious to you at all. You no. have no idea those things exist. You know that maybe something might exist, but you have no idea. And a lot of this takes a lot of trial and error to learn. Um, and like hundreds of deaths to figure out right and it's kind of interesting i found the start of this game to be immensely stressful because as we spoke about it every day is on a timer but because you're so knowledge is power in this game right like it is in a lot of games and you know just life in general when you know nothing in this game every enemy every jump like every spike pit is incredibly dangerous so you kind of end up adopting a play style that's similar to maybe a stealth game. Mm. Um, and a stealth game, when you're basically in a maze on a time limit and you have to find food, but you don't know where the food is and it's in a different spot every time, it, that's a lot of pressure. And it's amazing. I, I really want to highlight just how good this is. Like, this is something that I don't think has really been done before. And I think it's largely due to this time limit. When you get to an area and you want to move to the next area and there is an enemy there, what do you do? Like you can wait and see if it moves and you can do that for a while. But when the clock is ticking, you can't wait forever. <laughs> if you discover a food source and it's near an enemy, well, you could go and look for another food source, but there's only three to four minutes left in the day. Can you afford to find another food source? Or should you well, the go answer the is no. <laughs> so you go out there and then the enemy attacks you and you panic and you misinput your buttons and you die. Yeah. That's the, that's the average experience, right? <laughs> Definitely when you're learning. But, you know, you at the end of the day, you have very limited tools, but you do start to use them because you really don't want to die. So to get a bit more specific here, I think one of the things that makes you play this game as a stealth game versus the way you might play a lot of other modern stealth games in inverted commas is that you are actually incredibly vulnerable and very shitty at fighting. Um, to start with, you do not have a melee attack. You cannot bounce on enemies' heads to do damage. You can throw things, and throwing things is the only way that you can do damage. The only way that you could really do damage is if you throw a spear. And when you throw a spear, a lot of the time you lose the spear because you've thrown the spear. All this adds up to is that your offensive options, at least at the start of the game, really seem to be panic buttons as opposed to something that, that will actually let you fight the enemies in front of you. You have a couple of ways to maybe hopefully survive if you get in trouble, but definitely at no stage in the early game did I think, man, I really want to take on and kill this enemy that is guarding this food source it was how can i get to this food source and evade the enemies in front of me yeah and you die basically in one hit yes right like i had a look at this and 
sometimes it can take two hits early in the game mm. later on it's always one hit basically so if you get tapped by anything you're probably dead uh, enemies at some points get ranged attacks that lock onto you effectively um so it becomes more about you uh taking the enemy by surprise and that's probably true of most of the enemies right because you the fight is heavily in the enemy's advantage especially when there's numbers involved when there's numbers involved you run <laughs> and, and the key thing there is that you lose your spear when you throw it uh it, it can get embedded in enemies and you can retrieve the spear from the enemy's hide if you get up close enough which is hilarious in some ways and how it's encouraging you to run up to the thing that's trying to kill you uh and take the spear from them but yeah, you're, you're really not encouraged with these systems to fight these enemies. And I feel like as the game goes on, the enemies just get more and more deadly. Um, once again, I want to emphasize that this is more true of the character that we're playing. Um, as you get, as you play other characters, you gain more offensive options. But there's a reason your character is called the survivor. Your goal really, at least as an inexperienced player, is just to survive. I think even as the survivor, once you get to a better understanding of the game, you become much more deadly in combat. Mm. But you need to know things. Like, this isn't a game about outskilling the enemy. I would say in 80% of cases, if you try to do something like that, like try to win on pure reaction times, you're just going to lose. It's also important to note the game doesn't like actively reward you for killing enemies. Like mm. uh, you're not really provided with heavy incentives to kill enemies as a survivor. You can't, you can't eat your enemies. They don't drop experience points, right? Yeah, except in the second playthrough with the hunter who can eat them yes. and actually can only eat them. That's, but that's another conversation point. Yeah, um, but but most of the time, I would say that your mastery of this game comes to do with your mastery of the movement and understanding of behaviors, which let you manipulate them and avoid them extremely well you know utilize your your tool set to the best of your ability to evade them and progress in spite of them not take the fight to them yeah something that i don't know this isn't too heavy of a spoiler i don't think but something that i think separates rain world from a lot of other 2d kind of exploration games maybe like castlevania or something like that is that there are basically no upgrades there's no items there's nothing mm. in the world you just like you have everything to begin with you just don't know what you can do and it's up to you to figure that out and as you play through the game you get better at it right there is no you know you don't get stronger you just get more knowledge and you use this knowledge to be better after i beat the game i restarted it and i basically like i got from the starting room to Shaded Citadel, like in one go, basically mm. through, because Shaded Citadel actually connects to the starting area if you know how to get there, um, which I was able to find. And man, I just felt like I felt so much stronger than I did when I first started playing. It, it's it knowledge, crazy. but it's also a mastery of the movement mechanics, which I think are. Um... Which are very I think interesting. Also knowledge. I yeah, sure, don't sure. I think there's a lot of muscle memory learning in this game, right? Like, I think there it's all. Oh, yeah. See, there's a couple of layers here. The first thing is that Rainworld does have a lot of advanced uh, movement tech uh, that mm. is well beyond your. Uh, will be well beyond anyone's abilities to even come close to understanding on their first playthrough. 
Um, but I do think that the Slugcat has a, I don't know, it has a particular way of moving and interacting with the world that you do need to learn and get used to and internalize as muscle memory. It's very physics-based. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the internalizing of that is muscle memory um, so that you can move on instinct is important. It's not just knowledge because a lot of the time you are thrown into very volatile situations and you need to be moving quickly and efficiently in the right direction. And by the end of the game, <laughs> by the end of the game, I was able to basically jump through pits of lizards with good movement uh, by observing where their head was. That would have been impossible for me at the start of the game um, just because I, I, I didn't have that kind of fine motor control of, of, the, um, of the controls. I think that's still impossible for me, honestly. I can't do that at all. Like, oh, yeah. I just know how to get around them now by either avoiding them or like using sound to lure them, that kind of thing. But I basically, like, I will die to the basic lizard, like, if I try to fight it, like, 90% of the time. It's stuff like a rock will stun and a lot of enemies for, like, a microsecond, and that microsecond is all you need to run past them if you time it well enough. Um, but So maybe I engaged with this a little bit more than you did, but certainly I felt like uh, by the... And maybe it's because I died a lot more than you and kind of brute forced my way through these situations like an idiot. Maybe it's a play style thing, but... It's interesting. I actually think the enemy at the start of the game, the basic lizard, is like the top two hardest enemy. And the, the big ones that I see people online talking about as being difficult, to me, are the easiest. It's really weird. Every time I read someone's opinion on playing this game, it's like they played a completely different game to me or the other person. It's really, really fascinating to read. To, to take a bit of a step back, so let's talk a little bit about our, our specific experiences here because um, what happened to me, James, is that I basically got through the game okay and then I got to Industrial Zone and I got my shit kicked in for like two, like to, two to three hours, maybe three to four hours. Uh, what happened was I was going through the game, I was making decent progress, and I eventually got to the Karma Gate that I now realize was uh, the entrance to Shaded Citadel. Shaded Citadel uh -huh. requires five Karma to get through, and there is a, a safe room right before it. Um, and I was at the negative Karma. So I was like, okay, I know what I need to do. I need to leave here and I need to successfully hibernate for four cycles in a row. And thus began my pain. I would go out in the world, I would find food, I'd hibernate at a different checkpoint, and in my process of trying to return, I would die and I would lose my karma. And multiple times I got really close and I died and died and died over and over again, trying to come to grips with the world. Um, eventually the... Um, little tutorial uh, creatures took pity on me and they pointed me very clearly in a different direction and I was able to progress. But to me, this was the first big challenging moment I have. And I have to say, I um, was mad at the time and I old f fought a few times, but uh, I overall really enjoyed this because that dynamic world that you mentioned where food is in different areas every time meant that I had to keep getting out of my comfort zone and every time I died, I felt like I was dying to something different. Yeah, so I had experiences like that a lot through the game where you would be stuck at a specific point and it just felt like you were getting nowhere. 
there was some different and there was a few different aspects to this like a few of them i felt like it was just genuine genuinely difficult and i had to overcome the challenge and uh, an example of this is there is a particular area called an unfortunate development mm. Uh, which is quite difficult to get through, and I probably died like 100, 200 times there. But that whole time, I wasn't particularly mad or frustrated with the game. I was just like, I need to get better. You know what's really funny, James? Just as a nice aside, uh, you don't need to go that way. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was the cool way to go. I, I, I died there about, you know, five to ten times. And then there was, there's another way you can go west, which is uh, different. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, wow. But it definitely didn't feel anywhere near as challenging as when I was trying to get through that uh, monster infested place. Yeah, well, it was very hard, but I was glad I pushed through it because it was one of the more unique zones. And I thought, like, in terms of maybe visual storytelling it was one of the most interesting yeah um, i encountered it going the other way when i was exploring and i was like wait a second <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> glad i don't need to go this way yeah but i enjoyed that right like it was hard and frustrating but like i was happy to do that mm -hmm. um there are other times in this game where it feels like you're going backwards um Probably the mo the best example of this for me was there is a shelter between an area called Chimney Canopy and Sky Islands. Mm -hmm. And I was probably stuck at this shelter for like two to three hours before I gave up and went in a different direction. And it was probably like one of the worst experiences I've ever had playing a game. Like I would compare this to um, when we did Homeworld, like those levels that were like three days long or something you know the one mm, i'm talking yeah, about yeah. like yeah i would compare that these those two experiences and how bad i felt while doing them. so what was it specifically that made it so frustrating because i just described an example uh in industrial zone where i actually enjoyed the dynamic cycle of exploration and trying to find food what what was different about this one compared to the other checkpoint so so basically the shelter was in the room that the karma gate was and the shelter was on the side of the gate that was pointing towards where i'd come from so when i'd respawn i'd get out of the shelter open the gate go through it try and that to gate takes islands. like 25 seconds to open by the way yeah 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 and it requires like i don't know level two or three karma to get through um, and after failing enough times, my level dropped to the minimum and I could no longer get through the gate, which meant I would need to backtrack to areas I had already cleared to find food and then come back, rest, do it again, come back, rest. Then I could try the hard bit again. And then if I died, I would need to backtrack again. And oftentimes during the backtracking, because this game... There's no like leveling up. There's no system that makes you inherently more powerful. So those older areas are just as dangerous as the new areas. So I would die during backtracking, which means now I have to backtrack two to three more times on top of that. So if I die like 20 times on the bit I'm trying to get through, I need to spend like an extra, you know, 40 cycles to to you know actually do more attempts right so it kind of reminded me of when i played bloodborne and bloodborne was interesting because 
I was very happy to die like 200 times to a boss or something. The problem was every like in that game, uh, unlike the other Souls games, your healing resource is an item that you collect in the world and it doesn't automatically replenish every time you rest. So if you run out, you have to go to a low level area and grind mobs for like 20 minutes to stock up. Um, and it, it kind of felt like that, like I was trying to do this hard thing and every other failure I had to go and grind content I'd already done for like 10-20 minutes before I could make one, maybe two more attempts at the bit I'm actually stuck so, on. So is the core of the issue that that other... That the shelter is on the wrong side of the gate. No, no, I, I, but isn't the real issue that the the content that you consider grinding wasn't actually engaging or interesting to you is that the real issue like it was easy to do so it felt like busy work because surely it wasn't easy to do it wasn't easy to do i died dozens of times so you didn't get intrinsic enjoyment from trying to overcome that challenge no because and this is it's a frame of mind thing right like my mind was focused on the new stuff Every time mm. I had to go to the old stuff, it was boring because I'd already been here like a hundred times. Even though it was still gone... dangerous. Yeah. Okay. So I'm like, so I, one thing I really hate is having to pay attention to things that are boring. So you have to pay really close attention or you die, but it's boring and tedious. So like, it's like the most miserable thing possible for me personally is to this area that I consider myself done with is like I have to pay attention to it, even though I've done every room like, you know, 150 times at this point. Okay. okay. And it's still dangerous. And I don't get enjoyment out of that because it's like every time you die there, it feels like you're going backwards, like you're losing progress. Let me um give you a counterexample that's similar to what you're saying, but maybe not exactly the same. And you can let me know what you think about it. So I had a problem where I had to get from farm arrays to uh, the back to the outskirts. And at the yep. entrance of outskirts, there is a scavenger point. Um, yep. I needed to hibernate once in order to get through the gate. So whenever I was at minimum karma, I had to go back into the area I was, find food for a single hibernation cycle, return hibernate and then i could progress but if i died before finding another i'd be reset and i'd have to go back so i was stuck here for probably i'd say maybe 15 cycles total like a really really long time but the thing i found frustrating about this wasn't going back to get food because I I guess the areas that the food were in and the challenges that were there were always interesting and difficult to overcome. It was the bit that came after it, which was giving the pearls at the scavenger checkpoints. Uh, there are these uh, enemies or allies or neutral units in the game called scavengers, and they have checkpoints that require you to give up an item called a pearl, and if you do so, you'll progress. But what kept happening to me, James, is that I would get to this checkpoint and it would be under attack. There'd be a vulture, there'd be lizards. Um, it would be complete chaos. And this kept happening over and over again. 
and mm. I couldn't figure out how to give the pearl while they were aggressive with enemies. So I would do everything I could to just kind of like avoid the enemies and give the pearl. I would step past the checkpoint. They'd throw a spear at me. I'd die and I'd get reset. And this happened over and over again. And I got very frustrated and angry because it didn't feel fair to me that I wasn't able to progress, even though that was the only real way to go. I just couldn't figure out how to get them to consistently accept the token I was giving them. But the thing that I found frustrating wasn't having to go back to get food because I had to do this several times throughout the game and it was never uh, like don't get me wrong like it was frustrating in the sense that I got mad at the game but I was never mad at the concept like it was something that I was happy to engage with it was when it, my deaths and failures felt arbitrary and I had to repeat them over and over that I would get upset at this game and that's where I think the fault of Rain World sometimes lies yeah it does feel that way I think it's hard to, one of the things that, I, I don't know about problem, we can debate this, but mm. it, it can be really hard to know, because this game has really high variance, right? Like enemy spawns are random. Yes. It's also intentionally unfair, because one of the driving points of this game is that it's a cruel, unfair world. So an example of this is that sometimes when you go through a pipe, a lizard will be literally waiting on the other end with its mouth open, camping the door, and insta-kill you when you go through Did, it. Is that actually true? Because I don't think that ever happened to me. I think that I always had enough time to go back the other direction if I was fast enough. Yeah, I died to it like six times okay. because I would going through the pipe and I'd like look at something in my room and then I'd be dead when I looked back okay, at the but screen. You, you can survive if you are focused, right? Okay, I, I just I, I think that's important, right? If there if there's a way to avoid death, that's there is just like how on the scavenger points, if you drop your weapon and throw the pearl and wait until they make hand motions, you can get through a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> I, I, what I, I'm saying is that it's not obvious all the time whether you're getting fucked by the randomness or you just don't know something sure and i i think in like 90 percent of the cases it's you don't know something right mm -hmm. like i'm happy to admit that in 90 percent of the times i got mad at the game it was me not the game but it's really hard to know that and it is genuinely aggravating it's hard to know the difference right yeah okay right? that's like, fair yeah me, that's a good point me in the pipe you and the scavenger thing I, yeah it's hard and i can on one hand guarantee that it's your fault not the game but i can also guarantee that if i tell someone to play this game they are going to have an awful experience at some point in their place right <laughs> like it's it's basically guaranteed it is really interesting isn't it uh and i think that i think you've nailed it james it can be hard to know as a new player what you can't yeah what is a random death that you couldn't have done something about and what's something that you did have agency yeah. over and you weren't really aware of it i do think that the further you get through the game the more you discover that you have more agency than you might think but no matter what there is still stuff that can kill you unexpectedly yeah i think something that adds to this is that let's go back to that example of you going through the pipe and the enemy camping you okay mm -hmm. So you say you think that you could avoid that I, happening. I think, that... I think I did. Like, I, I, I'm not willing to say it with complete certainty, but I don't Great. think... No, that's, no, 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 that's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. So what we'll do right now, open the game and show me you avoiding that situation. See, 
me asking you to that to do that is ridiculous right because you could play for like three hours and not have that situation come up sure so my my point is that all of these situations that feel really unfair it's also very unlikely for you to prove or disprove that because the situations are so unique that you're not going to encounter the game is dynamic right it's not like opening a level in celeste and saying here's how i beat this level in celeste yeah you're like okay i because what my approach in a lot of games is i die and i go okay how could i have avoided that death in rain world that approach it feels like it doesn't work because you can think that but you have no way to test it for another couple of hours basically because the situation won't come up again for a while yeah but this is just a different kind of learning right it's about um basically taking in information and then trying to apply it in a generalistic way what behaviors generally will lead me to surviving these situations that uh that the others didn't like uh for example when you go through a pipe being aware of uh, don't look at something in your room as you're going through the pipe be aware uh if you see a lot of poles in a room always throw an object to identify if there's a mimic pole sitting there there are generalistic behaviors that you can learn that will overall increase your chance of survival mm. and if you do all of them consistently your chance of survival will increase and that's important your chance goes yes, up yes absolutely you can't and because not only uh, are things random and dynamic you're constantly exposed to new types of threats uh that you then need to learn and reincorporate and then you'll like, be exposed to multiple threats coming from multiple angles and it can be very difficult just to analyze all the information on the screen and make what you think is the best possible decision yeah. but i i don't i guess i don't view this as a downside i view this as a as an upside as something uh unique to rain world's identity you cannot memorize your way through this game you need to internalize general principles of behavior and try to execute on those general principles to the best of your ability that's that's not a bad thing it's very unlike uh, a lot of other video games in its approach because it doesn't guarantee survival in some ways it reminds me of um how you uh, i guess multiplayer behavior like uh with dota for example as a game that you and i are very familiar with the way that you get better at dota is to get better at generalistic principles and heuristics and trying to apply them consistently game after game after game after game and a lot of the yep. time they won't work and a lot of time there'll be exceptions but you will prog progressively get better at understanding how to play the game in a generalistic sense um to me that's what rain world reminds me of it's it's a different kind of play that is, than is typical of single player games but i don't think it's a bad one no but it does have a cost associated oh, with yeah. it, right yeah and that cost is that sometimes you are going to have absolutely miserable experience, right? Just like sometimes, in Dota. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and honestly, one of the things that makes these multiplayer games so successful and so addictive is this very, like, the fact that it generates strong emotions in both directions. Like, you'll have these crushing defeats that feel miserable, but then in the back of your mind, you'll be you'll have ego and you'll say, I could have done better and you'll queue up again instantly, right? It's it's very, like those spiky emotions make the game very memorable and kind of like you want to keep playing. 
but you, you will like just like playing losing three games of dota or whatever in a row you will finish some sessions of rain world making no progress and yep. feeling miserable <laughs> yeah it just will and then some games sometimes you'll make huge progress and feel like a god right like that's just the price you pay when you have dynamic systems so, like this. So here's the million dollar question, James. Okay, so let's let's accept the principle that Rainworld's dynamic systems is intrinsic to its identity. You need yeah. random enemies showing up, you need random configurations of enemies, you need food and random locations. This is part of what Rainworld is about. Yeah. Can this be fixed? Or is this intrinsic? to what rain world is can, can you have a game like rain world work without the bullshit or is the bullshit just a natural consequence like a, a price you have to pay to have a system like this in a game like this so as a single player game i think you can do a lot of things to shave off the absolute worst lows I don't think you want to get rid of every low, for example, because this is a game that's trying to craft a very specific feeling and atmosphere. And in fact, this idea of you getting much better at like remembering those bad, you know, experiences at the start and thinking, oh, I overcame them. That's important. It's important that there are bad experiences in this game. However, I do think that this game has the potential to have these outliers that are kind of crossing the line and i had this a couple of times maybe two or three times during my playthrough that made me not want to play the game for like three days mm -hmm. um made me hate it like i reckon if i wasn't playing this game for the show any of those three experiences mate would have made me just drop the game on the spot mm -hmm. right so i think you had it as well in the leg where there is a particular section that there is quite a difficult room near the end of a very long section of climbing vertically which isn't particularly so every... difficult I, I think it's worth noting it's not that difficult the... it's boring yeah, yeah right? but, but it's I, so unfun. I just want to emphasize that for everyone in case they missed it this is a platformer but it's not a platformer like even mario like the platforming challenges in this game are generally not challenging in any way they're kind of part of the broader I guess, systems of survival and evading enemies more than anything else. When you take the enemies out of the game, the platforming isn't threatening and your chance of dying to poor platforming, uh, a la, you know, your typical platformer, Mario Celeste, you know, is very low. If you know how to use the mechanics, right? Yeah. Like I died, uh, I died in Shaded Citadel when there was poles horizontally because I didn't think to hold up the entire time. And after like two deaths, I realized and then never died again. Like it's very binary. If you know what you need to do, you can do it. If you don't, you can't. Yeah, but, but um, just I just want to emphasize that the platforming in this game is not hard. It is part of a broader identity that gets hard with uh, with enemies. Most of the rooms that have things you can jump on, it's not like the room is in it was designed with a specific platforming challenge in mind it's just there's like a bunch of stuff you can jump on yeah and some rooms are designed to be platforming challenges but they are not the majority i think no they they, they definitely exist and there's ones where there is almost like a linear path that you have to follow but that's not the common layout sorry to interrupt yeah. your story james i just wanted to um emphasize the nature of the platform yeah so this area the hang uh, the sorry the leg the leg it's very tall vertically and you need to climb you know all these vertical poles and there are 
a particularly nasty enemy near the end and you know if you die to it you've got to do the whole climb again and it's not very engaging there's like two three rooms with no enemies it's just like long and tedious mm. um and every time you die it's it's just boring right it's like watching paint dry and i think that that room was horrifically bad um in terms of design like it was just boring if they'd put more if they'd made it harder it would have been better yeah and this enemy i i've been trying to figure out what it is about this uh specific section that that i hated so much and i think it's because you're kind of put in a situation where you don't have many options and how you approach it there are these lizards that basically fly they um they kind of crawl on the background of the environment they're not limited by the environment that you're traveling on they are faster than you they have they a can turn invisible they, oh yeah they're invisible so they're hard to spot in the first place they have and, a ranged attack that is always accurate basically and locks onto you from quite far away uh so even if you kind of try to distract them and go the other way they'll they'll just catch up to you and i couldn't really figure out how to do it and in the end i feel james and i got through this section the same way by being lucky which is yep. the worst possible thing that can happen to you in rain world because it feels like you didn't earn your way through you didn't you i didn't cleverly through disguise. a lot of sections okay i like i got through a lot of sections by being lucky like in shaded citadel the plants i got through those by being lucky um like lots of areas i got through just by being lucky and it felt like honestly it felt bad each time um but there was no way i was gonna like you know, give up and do, like do it again properly. I was like, "Fuck that!" I just died like two hundred times. Whereas, Fuck whereas it. those plants in Shaded Citadel was my biggest brain moment of the uh, of the entire playthrough. <laughs> I was explaining it to James how I got through and how I figured it out. I felt so smart. Um, it's funny. I think a lot of the enemies. It's kind of like I don't. Th I think this game doesn't have a difficulty curve. It has like difficulty spaghetti. Like there's no <laughs> way to predict how hard something's going to be. Here's an example. So I died a lot in garbage wastes. Um, so there are these worms. And I discovered today that those worms are by default not aggressive. <laughs> when I entered the room the first time, one leapt towards me and I reflexively, because my assumption in Rain World is that everything is trying to kill you. Good assumption. So when, when it leapt towards me, I threw a spear at it. And then when you throw a spear at it, then they really try to kill you. So I was like, oh, yeah, I was right. It was trying to kill me. So every time I found these worms, I immediately tried to throw something at it to get it to go underwater so I could get across. And I died to these things so many times. And like when I finally got past them all, it was it was like half luck. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I find out that if you just leave them alone, they do literally nothing. And I had no idea. I'd made this false assumption and it did screwed me. It, it's it's so funny because after the pain of spending three to four hours in industrial waste, just failing over and over, I literally got through this section without dying once. And yeah, I, got, I, I found it harder like, than industrial. With, yeah, without without dying a single time. So when you were saying that, I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like I literally zipped through this section in less than twenty minutes. <laughs> Conversely, I've been reading a lot of people's reviews and their opinions on the different areas, and I'm always really surprised when people say the underhang and the blue octopus things are hard. To me, they're actually the easiest enemy in the game. Wow, really? Yeah. Because the you're talking about the, the jellyfish thing with all the appendages, right? 
yeah, yeah, those things are the easiest because they perfectly telegraph what they're doing all the time. Like the lizards, I don't know when they can see you. I have no idea what their senses are like, mm. like what their vision cone is. The blue things, it's very obvious. It's everywhere all the time. <laughs> there's no, there's no question. And you know, like they visually indicate when they hear you by making like there's a visual cue. So you know when they can hear you and you can kind of work out. And then once you've worked it out, you can get past them a hundred percent of the time without them seeing you. And I've like once I learned it, I never had a problem with them and it wasn't I don't know, I just I don't really like they insta kill you if you they see you, but So my big problem with those blue jellyfish, and I broadly agree with you, I don't think they're that dangerous, but the they can create a lot of tension because they occupy a lot of space at one yeah. time. And this is where the time limit, I feel, comes into play. Because a lot of the time I'd be sitting there and I'd be waiting for them to move. That would be... And eventually they'd move. But the whole time to, I would be like... Sounds. I need to... Well, yeah, I would, I would try and throw a thing, but I didn't always have a thing to throw. Or the only way they could go was towards me, if you will, because they were blocking yeah. the exit and they needed to move past me. Uh, so I would... I was waiting and watching my timer tick down, waiting for them to move, and eventually I would get anxious at how little time I had, and I'd just fucking go for it. Um, I did learn to stealth pass them pretty effectively. I realized that when you're on poles, you don't make any noise whatsoever. So if you yeah. jump from pole to pole, you can just slip right past them, whereas if you jump on the ground, oh boy, they can hear you. Uh, but I thought that they were threatening in terms of them impeding your progress uh, and you having to just sit there and you not having a clear way to platform past them, unlike, you know, the lizards, for example, which were you could, you know, go under or over a lot of the time. I would just jump in place and wait for them to come for me and then move. Like, right. I, th I didn't think find it can... that simple. Yeah, I died less in that area than I did in Garbage Waste, which to me is, <laughs> like, thinking about it uh, in reflection is hilarious. Yeah. And that's kind of what I mean about the difficulty curve. Like, I think it's really unpredictable. And this game doesn't get, like, I found it just as hard the whole way through. Like, obviously, when I replay the start, it's way easier now. But, like, I struggled the same at the start and the end, basically, I think. Um, I want to drill down onto a couple of specifics, James, now, if that's okay. Should we have a music break? Yeah, let's have a music break. We'll get into some gameplay specifics because we've been talking about it in a generalistic sense, which I think is good. It paints a picture, but um, I think there are some specific details that are worth bringing up as well, and then we can go into story. So the music in this game is pretty good, actually. It's interesting. Most of it is very dynamic. Like, if you listen to the soundtrack on its own on YouTube, for example, you'll be like... I've never heard this yeah, song. That is exactly what happened to each me. Each song has like six layers or something. And the layer, like if an enemy's near, it plays the first layer, which is like the drum line or like the bass kicking, like very like thump, thump. It's thump, even more thump, complicated like than that because different yeah. enemies will trigger different layers. Like the vultures, for example, always trigger a specific layer. So when you hear that noise, you know that that the enemy is coming. Near. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then there's this other thing that's happening where there are full standalone songs that aren't layered. Which seem to come soundtrack. in randomly almost. Is that right? Every song that's like that has a specific room, like one room in the entire game wow. that if you get there, it starts playing the song. Okay, that makes more sense because <laughs> they were, they were yeah. kicking at the weirdest times and then 
it would be like oh, yeah, okay I, I was very con- i actually thought the first time a song started playing because this game had no non-ambient music and this is more like movie soundtrack like peppy active music i thought my alarm or something in a browser tab was going off and i like alt tabbed and tried to find what was making the noise <laughs> before i realized it was the game because it just did not sound like rain world when i found the first song um the other thing i think is particularly so i quite like the soundtrack that layered thing is fantastic yep. i think the best thing it does is that well it's two things the first thing is that it adds to the tension because the very first layer is like a a snare drum kind of thing and it felt like it was matching my heart a lot of suspense right? exactly i was like oh shit the other thing it does is it acts as a additional uh thing to help you identify when threats are approaching so it's a really good way to help draw attention to threats in the area Definitely gives you an extra second or two for when the vultures are approaching. Um, so I think it, it fulfills both purposes really well. It, this isn't the kind of soundtrack... I mean, you could listen to this soundtrack by itself, but I don't think it's very representative of what actually listening to the music was like. So what I was going to suggest, James, is that we... Uh, someone's uploaded to YouTube the layered soundtrack and how the music gradually expands as a danger does. And I think that that will give a closer idea to what experiencing the music actually is as a player of the game. So we're going to play the outskirts layered track in the order of the layers. So here you go. So I hope that was a good example of how the soundtrack works in this game. I also really enjoyed it. I actually think the main theme is really good, like the theme that plays in the menu music. Mm. And generally just the atmosphere of music was pretty awesome. It's quite varied in tone, although even the most quote-unquote upbeat track still kind of fits in with being Rainworld. So, you know, pretty pretty miserable <laughs> at the end of the day. Mm. So, I, excellent. Um, you wanted to talk about specifics, right? So, I've just got a few things to dive into here. Things that I uh, like about the game and maybe aren't the biggest fan of. But I want to start with one of the things I like. And that is, to get real specific, it's the bats. The bats are one of the basic food sources in this game. Oh, I hate them. Um, oh, interesting. I hate them so much. Because I think they're amazing. I think that these bats actually add tremendously to the loop of uh, eating. So basically, there are lots of things to eat in Rainworld, uh, but you can divide them into flora and fauna. You've got a bunch of plants that you can eat, and there are also some smaller creatures you can eat, the most common of which are the bats. So what will happen is you'll get to an area with usually multiple bats flitting about and bats will kind of try to evade you in a lot of ways they'll be up in difficult to reach locations usually on the top of platforms 
and you can't they're not just hovering in place if they notice you they will kind of flit out of your reach and i think that this adds so tremendously to the core of this game because firstly it makes it more difficult to eat them thus is exposing you uh to more danger if there is an enemy in the room and it also means that it takes more time and effort to get them, which gives you less time to return to a shelter point. If these bats were just static and easier to grab, then it would make eating them far less interesting. But when there's a couple of lizards in the room and you're trying to both avoid them and chase these bloody annoying bats, it makes the gameplay really interesting. A lot of the times you have to loop around a couple of times trying to evade enemies and keep returning to where these bats are because they will return to a more neutral reachable location when you leave what why did you hate them so much james to me these were these were fantastic and it's a small detail but it's one that i think reinforces all of the best aspects of Rainworld. uh because the three hours i spent like getting food in chimney canopy it's mm-hmm. like on- the only food is the bats and up until that point I mostly captured them by trying to skewer multiple at once with a spear. Oh, right. Um, You cannot do that in Chimney Canopy because you throw the spear and it falls off a cliff. So you need to tediously jump around these platforms trying to grab them. And they kind of disappear into the floor, Mm -hmm. which makes kind of no sense at all. Um, I find the fact that they disappear into the floor the worst. If they just ran around like flew away from you fine but they like actually despawn uh which feels a bit unfair honestly like died so many times trying to get these damn things i just hate them so you haven't lived till you're trying to eat bats while trying to evade a vulture at the same time that to me that's peak rain wells (laughs) like being in those situations where you need to get food to get back to your shelter but you're surrounded by danger but you know that you have to like sometimes i would be like fuck this and i would start exploring in a completely different direction to try and find a new food source and then i would find like a safer food source that was further away and i'd be like okay well this is another option to me i don't need to get food here i could try and go through multiple screens to try to get this food source that is further away and that's actually exactly what happened to me in the um the shaded citadel with those plants that were underwater I had to explore multiple different paths to try and figure out what the best way to get food was. And I think that, yeah, I really like the bats. I, I think that they um they make the gathering of food more interesting than simply getting um plants. Yeah, I kind of agree. Honestly, my favorite food source was when I was playing the hunter and I had to kill lizards. Like, that's way more thrilling than the bats. I can uh, see that. Yeah, that does make sense. I, the bats are just tedious. I, I killed maybe one or two lizards in the entire game, and it wasn't for any purpose except to say I did it. You know, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't to any end. Uh, did you have yeah. any specifics you wanted to bring up, James, or do you want me to keep uh, keep going? I could talk about the thing I like the least in the game. Let's go. Um, but I think that'll be a big tangent. Okay. Let's go. Let's so, do it. Okay. So after I finished the game, um, I was a slug cat who finished the game and didn't know anything about the broader story or the world because the way this game delivers its lore is probably, I'm going to say, the worst in any game I've ever played. <laughs> 
Um, after I finished the game, I looked up on, you know, forums and stuff to see what people's recommendations were to what the best way to experience it was, and nine times out of ten people were like, just look it up on YouTube. So, like, would you agree with that? It's really bad, right? Because I actually think the lore in this game is awesome, but the way you get it is like, I don't know, I just, I hate it. Basically, Would I agree. I think the way that a lot of the stories delivered in Rainworld sucks, specifically the data pearls. Um, I think yeah. that the architecture uh, and the, uh, I All guess, the, the, visual yeah, the visual storytelling is, awesome. is fantastic. Yeah, it's specifically these pearls. So tell tell everyone how, how you do it, Jim. How do you experience a lot of the nuances of the stories of Rainworld? So... Spoilers. Um, so around the world there are these little glowing pearls, which at the start of the game you kind of think are like a currency because there are these enemies called scavengers who kind of hunt in packs and they seem like they have a very kind of rudimentary tribalistic society going on. They often gather around these big totems that are decorated with lots of pearls and you figure out that you know, if you give them a pearl, they will let you pass without attacking you. And there's like kind of like a reputation system, maybe there in the is. background. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, where is, they yeah. like or dislike you depending on how much stuff you give them. But actually, it turns out that these pearls contain lore tidbits um, that tell you about the backstory of this world. And they come in two varieties. You have the generic white pearls, which will give you a generic bit of text. And then there are colored pearls, which are often. Uh, which are specific pearls in the world, which will give you a specific bit of lore. So each colored pearl is coded to retrieve a specific bit of lore. Now, you as an animal don't have the ability to read the information that is imprinted on these pearls, because you're just an animal, right? Luckily for you, and we're going into bigger spoilers now, um, is that in the world there exists these let's say higher bean sort of things that can read the pearls. Specifically, there are two of them, and they are in very specific sections of the map. So They're at the edge of the map. This is important. They're not in the middle of the map, they're at the edge of the map. They're at the very edges of the map in different directions. So what you have to do is you have, and there's, I want, to, I want to point this out, there is no inventory in this game. You have a left hand, you have a right hand, and you can store things in your mouth, which Patrick didn't realize until I told him. <laughs> how how many hours into the game were you without uh, knowing that? Probably like 50... five, ten, I'd say 10 hours in ten before hours? I realized yeah. that was a thing. Yeah, when James yeah. actually mentioned it to me. So, if you, so what you have to do is you have to find a pearl and then you have to carry it to one of these points on the map while not dropping it. And it takes up a hand slot, which is something that you could use for a or weapon you can swallow it. You or can... to food, or you can put it in your mouth and yeah. hold it in there, right? Have one pearl. And, yeah, you can have you can take one pearl or two pearls if you're good back at a time. You can't really there is a quick travel system, but it's very limited. And it takes a lot of work to get even one use of the quick travel, right? So you really don't want to be, you can't really use the quick travel effectively to ferry the pearls. And they're all over the world. Um, and you need to take them all back to this one NPC 
and it, it, it traversing back and forth takes a long amount of time. Everything we've been talking about as well. So James and I have explained to you how difficult it was for us as new players to get through single gates. That That's the thing. James and I are flying all over the place. All of the struggles we've had are getting through a single gate. You would need to go through eight of these gates in order to get a lot of the time, in order to, to get bring one this pearl. pearl. To get so, one pearl back to get a paragraph of text. So let's say on average it takes like an hour to do it for each pearl. And there's like, what, like 30, 40 pearls? 50, I, I don't know exactly. There's a lot. Yeah, so there's like, there's like 10 or 12 of the colored ones. Um, and then there's like heaps of the non-colored ones. And to top it all off, if you die with a pearl and that pearl gets caught in the rain, it will be destroyed for your entire playthrough. And you will not be able to get the lore from that pearl unless you start a new save game. And there are no save slots in this game. So you would have to delete your one save slot and start again from the very beginning and then go all the way to wherever that pearl was and then try again. And then if you die a second time, you know, you've got to do that all that again. So really, when I went online and I read, how should I get the lore? Everybody said, look it up. It's not worth it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So there's a couple of comparisons that I want to draw. The big one is Hollow Knight. So what Hollow Knight does, a lot of the way it delivers the lore like this, which is little bits of text, is that there's a merchant in the middle of the map, which you sell these items to for currency. And each time you sell one of these items for currency, he gives you a little lore tidbit, um, you know, a kind of generic one related to the item you're selling. Hollow Knight has fast travel as well. So you, you just go to him every now and again and you get a lot of flavor about the world. Dark Souls, of course, that has its um, item text. Uh, what Rainworld's uh, lore system is actually... Dark Souls is interesting because I think the average player is not going to learn all the lore. That's true, but yeah. if you wanted to, you could, and it would take time, but like the average amount of time per bit wouldn't be that long compared to this. Mm -hmm. I think this is just like tedious. Yeah, right? what, like, what it reminds me of, so there's this specific uh, optional quest in Hollow Knight actually, uh, where you have to take a flower from one end of the map to the other without getting hit, and you oh can't God. use fast travel. And it's a very difficult thing to do. It's completely optional. But if you get it, you get to give someone a flower. And that's that's the quest. That's what every pearl is in Rainworld, except the pearls are infinitely harder than getting through Hollow Knight's map. The, the thing that's so tragic about this is that I think that you can have a modified version of this system that still preserves the spirit of what it's trying to do without it being so ball-breakingly hard. Uh, if you were to just have a single location in each region that could read the pearls, then you could then you could still have this kind of uh, mechanic of, you know, platforming to these pearls because a lot of the time they're in like weird spots that are difficult to reach. Yeah. Uh, and having to take it through multiple screens safely while not having a spear, and that would be cool. Like you would still have the mechanic intact without the absolute insanity of transporting it to the edge of the map, which is something that realistically only very experienced players with a tremendous amount of um, knowledge and experience with, I would say, 40 to 50 hours would even consider contemplating doing. It's too, it's too specific a challenge. It's too hard a challenge 
to cut the lore off and what's really good lore from the majority of your player base. So I, I don't like this system at all. It's interesting. Um, I potentially think that if we played another 100 hours of the game, this system wouldn't seem so insane because, like to us, the concept of going from one side of the map to the other wouldn't seem so daunting. At that point, it doesn't seem like such a crazy system, right? It would be um, also it would be a fun challenge, right? Like I'm sure there's people who get the intrinsic enjoyment from just doing this, right? Like it's a fun challenge, and once you're good enough, but I mean, man, it's still going to take like ten to fifteen minutes in some cases, yeah, for one paragraph of text. Like it's it's madness to yeah. me. So I I really strongly dislike this system, and I wish they had modified it because i think there's a way to keep the spirit of this mechanic intact without it being what it is one thing that i think is critical is that i think it's very intentional that you don't even get one pearl like before you finish the game for the first time i think it's very intended that you go through the whole game without knowing anything like just experiencing it as an animal and not knowing the broader story of the world which I think they could have preserved by like changing the ending slightly to have like a new game plus where it gives you the ability to learn, like read the pearls. Um, and then a second playthrough would be more interesting because every time you find a pearl, it's exciting. Like they could preserve that feeling of mystery on the first playthrough. Uh, I don't know. It just, I don't like it. it. It's I also, really it, think it's crazy. It, it's telling to me that one of the DLC characters actually does have the ability to just pick up and read them. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, they just added that because I assume that the developers also... Although I think the DLC was originally made by modders that was then, uh, like, prettied up by the developers and then put into the game, similar to how Isaac's latest expansion was mm. originally a mod. I believe that's what Downpour began with. Don't quote me on that. Okay. The the other thing is that you may not even know that giving pearls to to the moon yep. or is that name to the moon looks up looks to the moon looks to the moon yeah. uh, is something you can do. Like you'd have to understand. I mean, obviously you, the game teaches you to give pearls to scavengers, so it's not that big a stretch to be like, okay, maybe stuff will happen if I give this valuable item to someone else. But at that point, you think they're shiny pearls. You don't understand that they're data storage units. So for most players, they wouldn't even realize this is a mechanic that they can interact with. They don't even know that this is a thing that exists until, of course, you inevitably participate in the discourse of finishing mm. the game. Because I do think Rainworld is a game, and I I've talked about this before, that I think that we romanticize the... We as a broader community maybe romanticize playing games blindly too much. There is a lot of value from being part of a community and participating and watching videos and reading analysis things and reading the wiki. This is just a part of how we as gamers in the modern world do experience video games. And I think that that is a good and valid way to do things. So well, I wish there was like easy ways to experience games with groups of like 20 people right yeah like, it's I think, like you could you I know think, have a podcast that people you know play a game for and you know like, they I know think they're if playing i was that playing game. this game with a group <laughs> of people and we were all working together to get some of the pearls and like figure things out that'd be fun yeah but it's like 
it's very hard to find a specific group of people willing to do that kind of thing. Well, th- right? this is actually something. So the playthrough podcast that our um, podcast guest Chris uh, is the host of, amongst other hosts, they're doing a playthrough of Dark Souls at the moment, and I'm getting to experience Dark Souls all over again with a group of people who have literally never played it before, and it's really fun following the chat and giving tips and helping people as they experience all these things that i've experienced for the first time and i do think Mm. that sense of limited community that is not uh just reading wikipedia articles that break mechanics down in extreme depth is the best way to experience a game like rain world or pathologic or any of these weird games that defy understanding yeah uh, but yeah, I, I think this is too much, um, and I strongly dislike it. Like you, James, I, I think it's bad. I think they they could have done better. Yeah, and just for clarity, like having read most of the law now, um, it's awesome. I'd give it like a nine out of ten, ten out of ten for some it, of it. I think it's awesome. Ha, like, have you? Did you ever read anything by Ian M. Banks, James? I'm sure I've talked about the guy before. Uh, you've have talked about him a lot. I have not read anything. I don't know if they've read him or were trying to channel him, but there's a lot of bits and pieces that feel like it's channeling him. Um, there's bits where you get snippets of the AIs in group chats, um, the names of the AIs, and I guess the concept of ascending. I know Ian M. Banks didn't invent that, but the concept of a group of people ascending as a society is reminiscent of like a few different books he's written, particularly Look to Windward and uh, and Accession. So I um I, it felt like this story was written for me in a lot of ways. I I really really liked it. However, there is something I wanted to ask you about this story, Jane. Yeah. What- what do you and listen i i'm not really qualified to talk about this because i've just finished the game recently and i think there's a lot to this but what do you think of the philosophy of rain world and this is where we'll get into ending spoilers a bit as well because i found it i i didn't like it but i don't know if i wasn't meant to like it or if i didn't understand it i i felt like uh you know i know i'm a very atheistic person whereas the philosophy of Rainworld feels very uh buddhist it's very tied to buddhism yeah so i right? I, like... I i either didn't understand or disagreed with the message i felt the game was trying to tell me and i did not connect with this game on a philosophical level in the way i did with dark souls in particular which i think kind of deals with a lot of the similar themes but in a very different way so let's talk about how the game ends it's probably the best thing to do sure what do you think happens at the end so it seems like so what happens is at the beginning of the game you're told that your goal is to find your family uh but very quickly you see these little uh they look like little robots they're called overseers and again this is huge spoilers i would uh, recommend yeah, full playing spoilers. this game blind so you should stop listening to us right now full spoilers <laughs> um these little overseer things they're like little robots with eyes pop up and they start giving you directions they kind of point you towards places to survive they point you in the direction you should be going and they even play little videos for you that give you hints as to what to do like a little video plays to let you know about the mechanic where you give scavengers pearls in order to progress um so you're doing all this you're kind of progressing through the game you're still like roughly under the understanding that you're there to find your family but really you're just progressing along because i mean what else are you to do and you end up meeting five pebbles and he tells you that here's what you need to do in order to progress and what he's telling you to do is basically to kill yourself um yeah. to commit suicide because the cycle of Rainworld, that is the cycle of rebirth. It's not presented 
like suicide though the way the game presents it is as quote-unquote ascension like you're going to a higher plane of existence and in some areas of the game you encounter remnants of the last civilization who have failed to ascend and they kind of give this like demigod like vibe off when you encounter them they're like kind of trapped between planes on your screen it looks very odd and like everything you know about the society is it's like very religious and very it's like very buddhist focused right it's mm. about freeing yourself from sin in order to ascend basically um and even in like the way the ending is presented like you are bathed in this golden light and you know the ending shows the slug cat outside of you know the world with the other slug cats in this like life tree or whatever right but mm. like to me what actually happens in the ending is you trip balls and then you die permanently because in this game in this game world the cycle of life and death and reincarnation is a real thing that you know about the slug cat knows about all of the previous inhabitants of the world knew about right and the world is so fucking miserable and everyone is so sick of dying and being reborn and dying and being reborn that they're basically seeking an out like a permanent out which they call ascension but i really think is just them you know ending it permanently um, and basically, from what I can tell, basically the world is so miserable that every single member of that race offed themselves like voluntarily. So, so this is this is where my understanding starts to fall apart. Why was it so miserable? Like, I, I, have you I played the game. <laughs> like, have you played this game? It sucks. Yeah, I guess <laughs> the thing is, so from what you read on the pearls, their society seemed to be flourishing you know they had poetry and culture and everything right i'm not convinced that all of them felt negatively i think a lot of them were in love with this idea of ascending like i think it became very romanticized mm. and like trendy even I but, but it's, it's weird also i don't really know how this cycle of rebirth actually worked because it seems like it's left vague and not really explained it because i don't really understand best, how society functions if no one ever dies like do does your population just grow infinitely i mean when you get old and you die do you reset back to when you were younger or do you just keep getting older and older and older till you're a withered husk my suspicion is that when you die time continues until the universe ends and then it resets and you waking up in the shelter is actually like well you did actually do all that stuff again at the start you're just not experiencing it as a player i think it's implying that you did the whole journey again there are lots of slug cats as well and they're mimicking your movements which indicates that it is you just from other timelines or other whatever but yeah. the actual details of how their immortality works and how it's terrible isn't really detailed and i feel like i don't know if this is a misstep or not because i think it's better i think it makes the game better when it's unexplained. for me it didn't work because i didn't understand why it was so horrible it's crazy to me that like you can play this game and not think man this world I, I guess the thing is for me is that i i guess and this is where it's very hard for me to separate my personal beliefs from what it is presenting in this in this you know game like if you're an atheist you don't believe that there's life after death you know you believe when you die you die 
Uh, but that just means that you should be making the most of the time that you have in the world and doing everything you can. But when to... you die, you don't die. Well, yeah. So in this world, you don't die. But but can't you have a thing where like you live five hundred years, like in the UNM Banks universe, and then you kill yourself? Like you you can have children and they can live long lives, and then and then they kill themselves, and your society continues. Like uh, if you found a way to end the cycle and ascend, that doesn't mean that you should reject life itself. Like life is amazing and meaningful and worth living. And to me, this game ends on such a downer note because it's just saying, yeah, that life is suffering and what you need to do is kill yourself. I know it's not exactly that, but it's such a it's such a weird message to me. There's so many stories about immortal people yeah. trying to end themselves. Like one of the stories that you really like that I don't really care for is mm -hmm. called Malazan Book of the Fallen. And my favorite character, or one of them, I think is also one of your favorite characters, is Adamanda Rake. And their society is very depressed because they're immortal and they're sick of it, right? Uh, and you really liked those characters, didn't you? I think that uh, my problem is not understanding why, as a, like, I guess it's this obsession with ascending as a society, because to me it's almost a rejection of their society and living, whereas I don't think these concepts need to be in direct contradiction. I think that you can live a meaningful life and then ascend. I don't think it needed to be one or the other basically the problem for the slug cat is that his best case scenario is killing himself and to me that's like such a nihilistic depressing well he doesn't understand right uh, yeah i mean he's obviously not as intelligent as a human but he's definitely sentient i think i mean he can understand language and stuff so sure yeah but from the slug cat's point of view, he was reunited with his family at the end. Yeah, and that was his and goal. if 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 ascension is a hundred percent true and you can be guaranteed that you're going to heaven, I can see why people. Yeah, well, the cat like it doesn't know, right? Yeah, um, I think that's kind of the point. I, I guess if we, I guess if we know for a fact that heaven is real, then the equation changes a bit, and then killing yourself does seem like a pretty good idea because you get to go to heaven. But yeah, it's it, yeah. This is all to say this is I don't fully understand this. It puts me, it makes me feel uneasy. It's something that I intend to do some further reading on. But my initial feeling after. I guess dealing with the end of this story is that I felt uncomfortable and maybe maybe that's a good thing maybe it's good that I feel uncomfortable and I'm being challenged a bit how did you feel about the ending in terms of like actually playing through it because I hated it I felt like it didn't have the actual effect on me that it should it was so slow yeah okay so I liked each individual element of the ending each of them dragged on for too long now when I say each of them dragged on for too long I mean that I spent like 20 minutes in yeah. one section before I alt tapped and googled if I'd broken the game. Yeah, I was swimming and in the wrong found, direction. It was so bad. And then I found all of these posts that were like, help me, I think I broke the ending. <laughs> and everyone, like lots of people had the same experience. It's very janky. It kills the mood too a little bit. Yeah. Because you have to like swim down and then nothing happens for a while. Then you get to a bit where you need to specifically swim up and then swim down again. <laughs> and if you don't do it, and there's no real indicator for when you there's should a do light. what. There's a light in the corner of the screen, which yeah. I didn't really notice, actually, but, but until you I can't, Googled it. You can't swim down straight away, because I sw swam down for about five minutes before going, this can't be right. 
So you have to yeah. swim up, then swim down. It's yeah. I I it felt it kills was... the mood of what it's trying to go for. Absolutely. If this was just a cutscene that was like just played over two minutes, it would have been immensely better. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I actually really liked the concept of the ending. I liked the concept of the world. Um, I like how miserable it actually is because that, like, that reflects my experience of the game. I mm. like the explanation that you eventually work out for where the torrential rain comes from that was awesome um and i really like the mega structures and exploring them uh, i think everything's really cool like figuring out that most of the uh the enemies are bioengineered and not mm. naturally produced that was you know a big moment um which i think at the moment i saw the vulture was pretty apparent i don't know because it's kind of got these like thrusters on it that seem mm. a bit out of place um, what, what I quite like is how it goes from being, I guess, a. It, feel, it very much feels like you're just a, um, you're an animal surviving, and then the technology and the science fiction aspect of the story gradually creeps in on you. Like it comes in slowly. Like you go to the industrial sector, then you go to these garbage ways. You go to the shaded citadel, which is you know a place where people live. Before you know, you go to the leg where you're going up the side of the structure. You go to the underhang where you're under the structure. You finally go inside the structure, which is just awesome, just super, super cool, super different from everything you've gone before. And then I felt like as I was leaving uh, the structure, I started to understand all of the locations in relation to that mega structure. Mm. Um, which was cool. You know, th these places have names like the farm arrays and industrial zone and garbage dumps. And you, well, well, the garbage dump is the garbage that got created in the process of five pebbles structure being built. Yeah. And you understand that there was a second superstructure that has since collapsed, uh, which was really close by. I didn't understand that until I read it somewhere. Yeah. Well, me, like, me yeah. too. Right. I, I'm not saying I immediately grasped all of this, but you, I understood everything in relation to that superstructure. I was like, okay, this was all one giant machine uh in relation to this big thing i like how it creeps up on you gradually so you become more invested in the world the longer you play i don't think it does that at all i think it all smacks you in the face in one go when you read it on the wiki because it doesn't gradually give it to you okay i i see what you mean by that in terms of the details of the law but i just mean uh for me going up this side you know like yeah, that yeah. that whole thing where you eventually transition into it and then i started paying closer attention to the place names and i understood it rightly or wrongly as like one big intended system it's such a shame to me that it's not doled out to you in a better way it makes me so sad how cool would it have been if all of the data pearls you could read them at the start of the game but they're all really cryptic and then you get to five pebbles and he gives you this bits mm. of information which recontextualizes all of them and suddenly you see the true meaning of them in the world. It's like that moment in The Witness where you get the twist and you're like, holy shit, it was in front of me this entire time. But no, it's not like that and it's very disappointing. Yeah, it's it's particularly disappointing, I think, because the as we mentioned before, the visual storytelling is so strong. Like Rain World is a gorgeous game. And it's one of the things I love about it is the amount of detail that's in the backgrounds. There is so much. Yeah, and the writing system kind of takes from um, Korean and like a lot of Asian kind of inspired languages where they're kind of 
almost pictographic because you can learn. You can actually pick up what some of the symbol mean as you play the game, which is awesome. And then lots of symbols are actually combinations of multiple symbols. So the first mm. karma symbol, for example, represents violence. And like the fourth one represents gluttony. And then at some point in the game, you notice that that like little yellow observer that's with you, oftentimes it will point off screen and it will show this character that's a combination of violence and gluttony. And that means there's a hungry enemy chasing you down, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, all of the, and, and there's these oh, symbols cool. all over the world and they're all combined in ways that logically are interesting and fit with, you know, lots of, you know, they've put heaps of thought into the visual design and the lore and the background. The only downside here is that you, you can be so focused on just not dying that you may miss a lot of it because you're really encouraged to, you know, get into that animal mindset of just trying to survive. So it actually took me a while before mm. any of this detail really became apparent. This is something I wanted to talk about a lot as well. So because of all of this, because of the way the, pet, the Pearl system works, to me this suggests multiple playthroughs are kind of necessary. Um, and after I, I had a lot of mixed feelings about this game when I finished it, but I immediately started playing the other character, the harder one. So on some level, I think that tells me that I like the game, even though it makes me furious. Like this game makes me so mad when I play it and then I keep playing more of it. So, you know, it must be doing something right. But I started playing the second character and I started immediately noticing stuff in the world and I thought that was awesome. So to me... Rain World almost like demands you to play it multiple times to get the most out of it. And to some extent, the world is quite open and structured. And I think the first time you play it, there is an intended route through the game, but you could conceivably get through the game in like a lot of different ways. But there is something odd that I can't put my finger on, on the way the world is connected and constructed, where it feels open but very linear at the same time. And the incentive to go out of your way to explore isn't really there. And I think it's, I think it's supposed to be there because of the pearls. But like, there's no items, there's no currency, there's nothing to find other than lore. So... It's this strange thing where you kind of have to want to explore just for the sake of seeing the world because you enjoy the game, which is something that I think a lot of older games do that, but a lot of newer games don't do this. They give like tangible incentives. Like to you, is there enough here that makes you want to do that kind of exploration or no? Like, how do you feel about that? No, I, I think that the... um. Yeah, this is something I was thinking about as well. Like in your typical Metroidvania, you get rewarded for exploring the edges of the world. In this game, the main reason to explore those out of the way things is that they usually have food in them. So the extremities of the world that aren't on the critical path usually have food. So they can be places to basically, and they're often populated by enemies, so they're dangerous, but they're a way to get your food before returning to the shelter. So here's, here's a question. You mentioned we have this difference of opinion where I hated backtracking for food before the gates because it meant I had to do all this difficult but familiar and kind of tedious gathering in different spots. Yeah. But you said you enjoyed it because it was like it presented unique and interesting challenges. 
I would argue that these side areas would do that. If you were to go and explore them, you would have new rooms and new challenges that you hadn't seen before. Is that not enough for you as somebody yeah, well, who like, well, the thing, enjoyed that? The thing is, uh, when I would first get into an area, I would naturally discover a lot of these areas because I didn't know what I didn't know where to go. When you get to an area, there's often branching paths and you don't know which way is the critical path. So the exploration, I guess the joy of exploration in Rain World is uh, like that first stage of getting to a new area and just kind of probing all the different places you can go. Uh, the exploration there is valuable. But once you know where you need to go, it kind of limits your exploration because you're trying to progress to the next area. So I think there's value in the map uh, specifically while you're exploring but once you know what the path you're trying to achieve what when you when it kind of drills down to a linear path you have no reason to get outside of your comfort zone you just try and get the food and then you move on to the next area because why would i be off exploring in the opposite end of the map when i know that there are sources of food closer by i so i started playing the hunter and then i gave up because i learned that there was a time limit on the playthrough and that just was a big no for me i'm like i'm gonna die a hundred times and just have to restart this campaign that seems really <laughs> to me so i actually restarted my survivor playthrough and i intentionally tried to explore because the map actually even though you delete your save the map exploration is saved between all of your oh runs. really and doesn't get deleted. That's yeah, interesting. So, so my hunter had the half explored map, and my survivor had that map as well. So I intentionally went to the areas I hadn't been before, mm. and my path went from like the starting zone to Shaded Citadel, which to me was like, and I, I had to give up because Shaded Citadel from that direction is actually way harder. Mm. Like the rooms, the way they're laid out, um, but. It was kind of fun just like going and I wasn't really expecting to enjoy it's actually more I found it really relaxing because I wasn't like and this is kind of I think there's inherent an inherent flaw to reviewing games when you're on a time limit um, because you're very stressed especially in this kind of game like it was in the back of my mind that I was worried I wasn't going to finish this yeah, game. Yeah you mentioned time that recording. multiple times. Yeah once I'd finished the game and that stress was gone like it was so relaxing just exploring all these other rooms. Like there was no pressure to actually finish the game. So I can just die a hundred times. Doesn't matter. And I actually died a lot less because I'd already beaten the game. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly, it was just kind of fun walking around, but I have no, there's no like a drive or motivation internally to keep doing it. But I know if I do do that, I'll have fun. It, it's weird. Well, right? I know. Like, I think we're kind of hardwired to, desire rewards from our games these I, days. I think a lot of the characters significantly change the incentives to a point where you can play a new character and get a lot out of it without having you know arbitrary exploration as as a as a goal for you just just filling out the map uh so yeah. i think that's that's a fine way to re-experience the game i also don't really think it's a problem uh because you do get a lot of value out of the exploration in those early stages. Like when you when you first get to an area, exploration is front and center because you don't know where you're going. You don't know where the shelters are. You don't know what the shape of the map is. Um, so you still have exploration. It's just not, it, it just, it becomes more irrelevant as you hone in on what your goal actually is. 
Once again, I think if the Pearl system was better, all of this would be solved. Yeah, because that would, like I said, the Pearls are often in weird-ass places that I, I don't even know how you get to some of them, honestly. I think there's, like, entire regions that aren't required. Like, I think there's literal regions I didn't find. Um, like, you know, in Dark Souls, there's, like, Ash Lake. I think there's shit like that. It's equivalent like, to that. just a whole... And I know yeah. the DLC adds whole new areas as well, uh, which I think interlap and connect to existing areas. Also, the stories are in different points in time. So a lot of the existing areas are completely different. Like I know apparently in one of the playthroughs, the waste dump is very scary because the water insta-kills you because it's acidic. Oh, right. That's interesting. Like if you touch it at all. Yeah. So... And there's one playthrough where everything's covered in snow, apparently, like that kind of thing. Mm. So actually, you'll really like the sound of the DLC. There's like five well, new characters. That just released this year as well. Like Rain World's a pretty new game. Yeah. I think it released, uh, say, 2017, 2017. But the DLC is 2020. Sorry, not this year, last year. It's almost a decade. <laughs> like three years, like seven years, yeah. What did you think of the map in this game, James? Because this is something that I had... Uh, Pretty mixed feelings about. So the way the map works in this game is you hold down spacebar. And we're talking about the UI, right? The UI component well, of the map, not the not the actual layout of well, the map Well, I, I think we're going to talk about both. But first of all, let's okay. talk about the map as you experience it in-game. So if you hold down spacebar, what will happen is you'll get a gradually expanding map uh, from your point of view. And the, hold, the longer you hold it down, the bigger the map grows. You cannot see the whole map very easily the map is weirdly layered over itself so with different levels that sit in front of and behind one another and the map is not laid out in a clear 2d fashion like it is in say hollow knight or super metroid uh it is kind of like all weirdly um you know you can see the shapes of the rooms and the connections between the rooms are not straight lines they're often up and diagonally and on weird curves showing the connection um, yeah, because the room, the the layout of the world, even though it's a two D game, the rooms are actually connected in a three D space. Yes. So there's yeah, so you can actually yeah, there's like Z levels to the map, which makes viewing the map in game like a nightmare. Yep. Um, you pretty much will understand the connections one or two rooms away, but after that, it becomes close to impossible to understand how it all fits together. Yeah, and there's no map markers really either, which I found to be quite challenging. Um, yeah, I, I didn't mention it, but one of the things that made Industrial Zone di so difficult for me is that I kept getting lost. Like, I just wouldn't yeah. understand how it all fit together. I wouldn't understand that this path led to this path. And this all seems extremely intentional because if you go online and you type in Rain World Map, you get a very simple and clear 2D depiction of how all the rooms connect to one another and it makes perfect sense and you can view it all at once. It's literally the same as Hollow Knight or Castlevania or Super Metroid. There was a way to display the map in this way and they chose not to. What do you think of this, James? Do you think this was a good decision? Did it frustrate you at the time? I don't know if it's intentionally designed to frustrate or it was a genuine attempt to simulate a 3D world in a 2D point of view. There is actual gameplay consequences of this, which I found immensely frustrating. So there is a section of the game called The Wall, where if you go through the intended path, you will start at the top of the wall and you need to scale down it. 
And something you learn, realize early on, is that the wall has two sections. You can either go right down these like little tubes and tunnels and dropping down scaffolding and that kind of thing, or you can take the speedy option down the left, which is just to jump off the side, fall, and then grab on a pole and then drop again. We can do a bit of both. Yeah, we can do a bit of both. I obsessed with the speedy option because I, I have no patience, so I'm like, I want to go as fast as possible. Now, if you drop below the screen in the wall, it will transition to the next area and you'll, you know, appear at the top of the screen and you'll start falling again. The issue is, is when the bottom of the map doesn't connect down, but it connects forwards in Z levels, so you have to take a pipe instead. If you fall down on this section, you die instantly. Mm. So what happened to me several times is that I would drop down, drop down, drop down, drop down, drop down, like four to six screens in a row. And then be like, oh, there's a thing there. I'll grab it and drop one more. And then you just died because I didn't notice it was one of these rooms that connects. Now, if you know that's happening, you can look at the room and be like, oh, there's a pipe in the corner. It must be a fucky room. I'll open the map and check. And usually but there'll like, be a pole extending down through the floor if you can actually go down through it. That was the other thing I looked for. But it's basically guaranteed that you're going to die because of this multiple times. Right? I, I like... definitely died to not understanding that I couldn't go jump off a level. Yeah. I, it happened to me earlier in the first section after... Um, oh no, right I at the beginning think... of Industrial Zone, actually. I don't think the actual visual design of the room suggests that you're moving in a Z level. It still looks visually like if you connected the rooms top to bottom, it would still look like they connected se almost seamlessly, I think. Okay, so here's how I feel. I think the main advantage of this system is that it uh, works with the time pressure. Because understanding how to navigate through the world is difficult, like that being a difficult thing to figure out and it happening in real time, it doesn't pause the game. It means that looking at your map is stressful, particularly if an enemy yeah. appears, <laughs> it's stressful. Uh, and I like that aspect of it. I like this diegetic map checking thing. And I think it's something that actually... Uh, Pathologic 2 and Pathologic 1 could actually benefit from because those games pause the game whenever you open the map and it does a lot to undo a lot of the stress of navigating what would otherwise be a very treacherous uh, environment. Yeah, so many people would argue with you. <laughs> I think I think pausing the game on the map is totally fine. Man, no, but it's so good because, because you've got that ticking clock. Uh, having the map be diegetic uh, adds so much to the game because you can't just freely plan a path for two minutes you need to kind of like look at the map and try and figure shit out quickly it, it kind of adds to the pressure and tension reinforces the key themes of the game uh, so i so i like the diegetic na nature of the map but ultimately it feels like the game is just trying to trick me um if this game yep. can be represented in 2d i wish they would just represent it in 2d the game is trying to trick you right it's intentionally on yeah it's intentionally fucking annoying i i <laughs> i wish it would yeah. i i think I like it when maps are there to help the player, not not aggravate the player. And the map, I mean, like me. lot, lots of the game is set up for you to fail, right? Like the first enemy in the game, the lizards, are specifically like they crawl on all fours, 
and the height that they crawl at is specifically, so if you're standing up and you throw a spear, the spear will go straight above them and miss them, so good. right? <laughs> That's the first trick. The second trick is you think, okay, I'll get on all fours and then I'll throw the spear at them and their heads are armored so the spear bounces off their head. That's the, you know, that's the second gotcha. And the game is intentionally set up this way. The same with the map, the same with like, you know, the vultures and some of the, and the poles that are actually enemies, you know, it's intentionally mm. set up that you're going to, you know, die and he, get frustrated. Here's the thing though, James, on subsequent playthroughs, if I do play this, I think I will try some of the DLC characters. I'm just going to have a map open in Google. Like, I'm just not going to use the map yeah. in the game. And, you know, maybe that makes me, maybe that's going against the spirit of the game, but I just can't be bothered trying to navigate with the map when there was a much simpler way of doing it. Um, so it was it was fine and definitely uh, it added to my industrial zone experience with me being confused. Uh, so, you know, maybe there's something for it, but this is one aspect of the game where like, I can accept most of the difficulty and annoyances of the game, but this is one where it didn't work for me. And, you know, maybe that's just me. So there's a mod on the Steam Workshop that I actually would recommend to basically everyone, I think, and I will definitely install it if I play this game again. It is that the screen scrolls on big rooms because I think that mm. it's absolute horseshit the way it works currently. I've seen on browsing, like in the last few days, in browsing old posts and people's discussion on this game, there are so many clips of like this slug cat fighting off like three lizards and a vulture, like some ridiculous odds, and him successfully getting away from them only to be like sniped off screen by a long tongue like that came you know and there's like no way that you can notice mm. that because normally normally you use the sound cues to let you know that there's an enemy near so you're careful when you make the you cross the barrier but if you're already being chased by like four things like the music isn't telling you anything because it's already loud as fuck. Yeah, I, I had uh, like so you just died. Yeah, I you know, it's... I had variations of this happen to me throughout the game. Like I had one where I transitioned on the screen, a scavenger like instantly appeared and sniped me with a spear. Like there was no way I could have reacted to that in time. There's nothing I could have done. I just died. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I think that would be a good change. The screen transitions are not ideal. Um, most of the time, they're not going to kill you, but when they do, it's... Yeah, when they do, it's well, really annoying. It's particularly frustrating because I think this is a clear instance of there being of the game being unfair and there being nothing that you could have done differently to avoid yeah. death, whereas most of the things in the game that seem initially unfair, there are things to do. But this one, there's no doubt that it's unfair. I know you said you can get around it, but I couldn't. The, the things that camp the pipes... Mm. To me, like, that's kind of lore-friendly. Like, me, the player, not being able to see the next room because the, the camera of the game doesn't move. Like, the slug cat could easily see that enemy, right? Mm. Like, where he is. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, it makes less sense than... Like, the lizard camping is something that would actually happen, right? Yeah, like, is it something, yeah that makes sense. So it's just particularly frustrating. For it's, just, it's like immersion breaking on top of it, yeah. yeah. Um, there's actually something I discovered after finishing the game that I wish I had discovered like before is there's actually this menu titled uh, Remix on the main menu which is a bunch of 
options and settings for the game that they they added over time in response to feedback. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of cool things in there. Um, There's some options in red that say they kind of suggest you shouldn't enable them for like your first playthrough because they kind of they're almost cheating, basically, I would say. But there's some options in there that I think are just nice quality of life. Uh, One of them in particular the way it's phrased is it's trying not to spoil things it's called like uh it allows you to throw spears in different directions under certain circumstances and what this is meaning is that during a particular movement tech where you kind of do a somersault kind of it lets you throw spears vertically, which is something you can't do ever normally. Maybe in the DLC awesome. you can do it automatically, because I swear I've seen gifts of people do that, but maybe it's only with the advanced options. Yeah, I think that makes the game better, because it's actually quite skill-intensive to do that to begin with, so it's not really going to, you know, your first playthrough, you probably you might not even discover that, right? Well, like... <laughs> what, what I think is interesting is you said that a lot of these tweaks, uh, they came into place off the back of player feedback and i think it's interesting not that you i don't think you need to play with any of these enabled but it shows that the developers are aware of i guess little critiques of their systems and how they can be tweaked to give slightly different outcomes um sounds like they disagree which is why they made them optional I mean, sure. But they're willing to let people well, do it. Well, yeah, so yeah. Th- that's fine to But, me, but yeah. it also just shows a willingness to explore and experiment with different iterations of uh, of the system, which is very, you know, apt with uh, with the iterators in this game. Hey, James? Yeah. <laughs> Did you have um, anything more you wanted to touch on, James, or do you want to move to final impressions? There, Actually, there's one more thing. I think the way this game teaches the player is terrible. Okay, go on. So... The game either teaches the player in a very uh, on-the-nose manner, or it doesn't teach the player at all. So at the start of each playthrough, you get actual text on screen that says, this is how you do this. You must, like it says on screen, you you are hungry. You must find a gate to survive. Like it literally tells you in text what to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that's very heavy-handed. I honestly think it should have let me figure that out. Um, and it also very blatantly tells you how to do certain movement options, which, like, when you pause the game, it tells you, press this button, then this button to do this It is move, pretty unintuitive which... and it's necessary, so I don't know how else they're meant to teach that to you. Okay, to me... The golden shining example of this is when in Super Metroid you get trapped down that pit and the only way to get out is to learn how to wall jump. But you don't know that that's even a thing in the game. Mm. But there are these little animals doing wall jumps and you are like, maybe I could do that. And you try and you try and it took me like 20 minutes to get the hang of it because it's actually really... It's got a weird timing, yeah. But the way yeah, you but do, I figured it but out. The way you do the long leap is like very specific. Like it's you hold down the jump key while crouched over. So I mean, maybe if, if there was another slug cat that did like it crouched and then it jump? charged yeah, up, maybe. I would have figured it out. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. I actually think the controls are maybe too specific sometimes. Because um, they're very simple. They're they're just uh, the movement keys. You have a jump key. You have a pickup key. And you have a throw key. And then everything is an iteration. I actually forgot how to long jump. 
because I didn't, <laughs> like I, I didn't play for three days. Uh, that's on you, James. There's not, there's not that many moves. No, in no, there. hang on, hang on, <laughs> hang on. So you crouch down and then you hold the jump key and then you let go. Yeah. The thing is, if you're still holding down, it doesn't work. Yeah. If you press forward, like just after you jump, it stops working. Yeah. If you press any direction whatsoever, it doesn't yeah, it work. Cancels it. Yeah, which to me is like too strict, I think. Yeah, that's, that's I, fair. I, I, like, it didn't really bother yeah, me, I mean, but I definitely didn't forget. Yeah, and I find it is like that. There's lots of things like that. Like on poles, if you hold up to try and get up, you'll fall off. You have to tap it once, exactly once, and then not touch anything. Like, I think it's. It's very touchy, and I don't like. It's kind of intentional, but it feels almost too much. To okay, me so ways. I actually disagree with this. I love the control scheme of this game, and figuring it out really? was one of the things I really loved about Rain World. I, I think that I think the thing that's interesting about this is that it's a platformer that has you platforming in a way that's almost unique, and so you have to learn how to platform and control the slug cat. Like, one of the things that's interesting is that you basically have no uh, uh, vertical height on your jump. Like, you've, yeah. got, you've got basically nothing. I don't think these things are mutually exclusive. Like, I don't think, like, letting me hold a direction in long jump is going to ruin the discovery aspect, uh, Okay, right? Ma like... maybe it could have been done better, but I get, guess what I'm saying is, generally speaking, I found that the while the controls are weird and unintuitive like all the hidden movement stuff is awesome right like, yeah I... it, it feels really good to kind of come to grips with um and i can't do i can do very few of those advanced movement techniques people have done like big excel documents and you can watch youtube videos of the tech people can do with them yeah movements. i figured out like i figured out wall jumping like very quickly like the fifth room or something and then i figured out the backflip the floor slide. I'd never found uses for either of those, but I knew that they existed. I know that the wall slide, if you jump out of it somehow, you can do a longer jump. Like, it preserves the momentum. Mm. Um, I wasn't ever really able to do it. Likewise, I was actually convinced. I was convinced that you could throw the spear during the backflip. You know, that, yeah. that thing that's a setting in the remix option. I saw gifts of it, the so I thought it was a thing. I was so sure I could do that, but now you have to enable it in a setting before it works. So I was like, oh, that's lame. Yeah, um, <laughs> I love how when the slug cat kind of gets to, there's a lot of rounded corners and your slug cat yep. can kind of rip onto them and slide, slide up them. So there's a lot of corners that seem too high to reach, but if you jump at the right angle with momentum to wall slide up, you can then kind of grip onto the edge and get over the edge, mm. like stuff like that. Yeah. I have a feeling there's a... You know how there was that video of Celeste of all the little hidden tricks they did to make it feel better? I'm almost certain there's something similar going on here uh, in Rain I don't World. think so. Okay. I, I, th I think there's not enough of that kind of stuff, basically, okay, interesting. in this game. But, but yeah, I, I'm not as down on this control scheme. Um, I do think that the weird advanced movement tech um it's kind of annoying that the game doesn't teach you about it i think that yeah and it also doesn't require you to do no. it like i am fully behind this idea of not having actual upgrades for your character and just learning knowledge wise i wish the game had put you in situations that forced you to learn these things and 
escalated the difficulty of platforming around accordingly mm. with you learning these things, but it just doesn't feel that way. So you can actually get through the whole game with a very flat learning experience in terms of the movement, which maybe it's more accessible or something, but I already think the game's so hard at a baseline that like you should be expecting and trying to nudge your players into learning these well, things. Well, like I said, I think that the the challenge is when the platforming gets combined with enemies. And so if they'd made the platforming too difficult, when there was an enemy there, it would move close to impossible. Because can you imagine trying to pull off a difficult movement tech while you're trying to just escape an, a lizard with a tongue that's I can, you. you would die. Yeah. But like that's but then but I feel then like you, push the... you already had that experience. You already died a million times doing like I died a million times doing basic jumps, right? Yeah. So it's like no different. It's just extends but so instead of dying to basic jumps, I'm dying while doing fancy jumps. Okay, like, listen, maybe you're right. Maybe that would have been another good way to escalate the difficulty as you move through. Um, for me, the game was difficult enough for a first playthrough. I didn't need yeah. an additional layer. I kind of liked that the platforming was simple, but um, I gained an appropriate mastery over it for the course of the it game. It also might be that I gave up on going through Sky Islands because I raged <laughs> and just went through the easy way instead yeah the, um, the areas i was going through were definitely trickier <laughs> like yeah once i gave up i finished the game in like like less than three hours or something yeah, I was, it like, was funny because you told me that i'm like ah, oh, i'll be fine and then it probably took me another i don't know six to seven hours just to get through these few levels that were kicking my ass so bad james <laughs> yeah i was like oh industrial zone's so easy oh the pipes are you actually easy, told whatever. me to go the other way i'm like nope i'm doing it this way <laughs> Yeah, I did. <laughs> it was yeah. like, well, have fun. I did have fun. Well, in a matter of speaking. Did you? Um, <laughs> yeah, so I had little bits like that, but that's most of what I wanted to talk about, James. I'm happy to move on to final impression. All right, Patrick, give us your final impressions. So Rainworld gets a recommend from me. I think this is a really good game. I think that the uh, basic fundamental gameplay loop of of exploration, gathering food, surviving enemy encounters coming to grips with the controls and getting a sense of mastery of them, using gaining knowledge over the course of the game and being able to exploit that knowledge, whether it's using certain foods to bait people away, using sound, understanding the limitations of enemies' move sets and how to avoid them, um, all with that ever-ticking clock adding tension to every single encounter is amazing. I think that the karma system is essential. I think you need to be punished on death to have it all work there's basically a lot of elements of this game which are fairly innocuous by themselves but cohesively they deliver an excellent experience that being said the game is not flawless there's parts of this game particularly the leg is where it, where it really stood out to me where the it felt like i was giving limited options to deal with this problem and there was nothing i could really do creatively to solve it i think that there is unfairness of in the world which is bullshit sometimes uh, I kind of accept that as a consequence of a broader dynamic system that in 5 to 10% of cases, you're going to get instances where things are just impossible to deal with. And I kind of accept that, but it's still frustrating when it happens. I think the story of this game is incredible, and I've really enjoyed consuming all of the lore in relation to it. But I do think that the way the story is delivered is very poor. I think these pearls are shit. I think it could have been done better while preserving the 
intent of the system, but the way they chose to do it just pushes you to not explore it, which in my mind isn't good. Um, yeah, I'm very high on Rainworld. I think it's a very good game. I'm keen to explore the um, the DLC, but maybe after a bit more of a relaxing game first. I think I need a break, but I'm sure I'll be coming back to it. So I also recommend Rainworld, but I do so with a lot of asterisks. This is not a flawless game. I think it actually has a lot of major problems. To me, when we did a game like, like there's lots of games that try really interesting things, like when we did Pathologic 2, and succeed at those interesting things. I think Rainworld tries many really cool ideas and succeeds at most of them. And the places it doesn't succeed stand out really harshly against what is otherwise a brilliant game. And I think that if you play this game, you need to go into it with the expectation that at some point you're going to have a completely miserable experience that makes you not want to play it anymore. And I would recommend pushing through that because at the end of the day, it's a really rewarding experience that, you know, on reflection, you can really see the progress you've made in terms of knowledge and skill set. But, you know, I, I still think that there was heaps of room for the developers to kind of sand off the roughest of the rough edges because at the core of it, I think the rough edges are important. It's important for you to suffer a little bit in this game to get the most out of, you know, the narrative, what the game's trying to do tonally and atmospherically, but it goes too far sometimes and it's not intentional, right? Like this game is set up with lots of intricate interlocking randomized systems that sometimes roll snake eyes and you just have an awful experience. So go into the game with that understanding and maybe, you know, if you're expecting it, it won't be as bad as it was for me. It was quite terrible at some points, like probably, you know, bottom three experiences ever. But the flip side was a really rewarding, really interesting, you know, beautiful game that I really like. And even though I got furious at it, I immediately started playing it again, right? Mm -hmm. So... It's hard for me to say I don't love it, because I do, really. And the things that make me angriest do so because I like it so much. It frustrates me that the game could have been this flawless masterpiece, but it's not. The story that I've read is some of the most interesting in a game ever, basically. I think it's awesome. But the way it's presented almost mandates that you experience it via YouTube or wikis, it's just not feasible for most players to experience all of it naturally through the game world. And I think it's a huge missed opportunity to make the world uh, more enjoyable to explore. So I love Rain World. I think it's an awesome game with some huge downsides that you just have to be prepared for going into it. But I think it ultimately is worthwhile. It's interesting what you say about the unfairness of the game, because I think that is something that comes up a lot in relation to the world. We've played a lot of games that have been variously described as unfair. And I think one of the things that distinguishes the hostility of worlds like Ecstatica and uh, Another World, both games which I think were, which we both didn't, you know, really like very much, but we were intrigued by just how everything is trying to kill mm. you is the intentionality like those games are very intentionally trying to kill you with rain world it just feels like nature 
is oblivious to you. It's doing its thing yeah. and you're dying as a consequence of these systems just naturally interacting with one another. And somehow that feels better than the game deliberately trying to kill you most of the time. I don't think so. I think it feels awful, actually. I think it makes the game have this very erratic, random-feeling difficulty curve that's... It all it feels nonsensical to me to, in some degrees. Like, I think the game... I think, like, the way you define... Like, I was thinking about the way we define unfairness. Mm. Um, and the first definition i came up with in my head was if i feel that if i was more just more skilled i could overcome this challenge you know that it that it's fair like if something is deterministically impossible like it puts me in a situation where i literally can't win then that's unfair but at the same time like let's imagine patrick that i set up a a boxing match with you and the greatest boxer of all time. Mm. Um, and then you lost to him because of course you did. And I, at the end, I came up to you and I said, Patrick, if you were more skilled, you could beat him. While that is true, like you don't actually have a chance of outskilling that guy, right? Like, and I think Rainworld does the same thing where randomly it will put you in a situation that is so much harder than you're ready for that there's like i think there's this thing that happens where you die and you say it's unfair even though it probably wasn't you could have beaten it but i think the opposite happens too where you think i could have beaten that when you actually probably couldn't <laughs> you know but um, but i mean okay so it puts you in spots where realistically you literally couldn't have um beaten it I mean, that's... Yeah, even though a more skilled player... Okay, could. sure. That that happens sometimes in this game. I don't think it happens at such a frequency that uh, the game it's as a whole feels know. unfair. I think that it's... Uh, I think most of the time when you die, I had ownership of my mistake and felt that I could have done better. Not always, but I would say 90 to 95% of the time. I want, Every time I feel that, I wonder how much of it is ego. Like, am I overestimating myself when i'm like i could have beaten i don't think so i actually i i i think that uh particularly when you first start playing this game controlling the slug cat is really hard at least it was for me like i was failing basic jumps and all kinds of things and i think that the uh that combined with you just not knowing what the hell is going on and what's a threat and how to deal with it like i was hiding from those uh those fly things for a long time before yeah. i even realized they were neutral <laughs> um i mm -hmm. hid from you know how there are those bugs that you, when you spear them they drop a bunch of food yeah. i was terrified of those things man i thought they, i thought they were out to suck my brains or something i i would hide from those them. worms in the garbage waste i fought every single yeah exactly one yeah all of them like 10 times so i think your <laughs> lack of knowledge uh the general hostility of the world the ease at which you die and the fact that controlling it is so hard uh, means that you're regularly dying to moments of panic and not understanding. But, you know, you kind of grasp that if you were better at controlling the slug cat or were quicker off the uptake, you would have been able to avoid that then. Yeah. Alrighty, so that d about does it. Thank you so much for listening to us talk all about Rainworld. Um, James and I are the Retrospectives Podcast. You can find all of our content on our website, which is rspodcast.net. It's got links to all of our uh, the games that we've played over the past five years now. 
a bunch of articles we've written and links to all of our socials, the most important of which is our Discord server. Our Discord server is where we take game recommendations and it's where we do all of our interaction with our community. Just last episode, we had our mailbag episode, which is great fun. I've got to answer a lot of questions, go outside the beaten path. It's always a pleasure doing these games that aren't retro games, getting to explore what a lot of these modern indie developers have done with pushing game systems in ways that the AAA industry kind of hasn't. So if there's a modern game that you're interested in us exploring, we'd love for you to suggest it. We only do one of these a year, uh, but you know, that could always change for a podcast when on no strict schedule. Uh that does it. What are we doing next over the next three weeks, James? Next year, <laughs> yeah. what are we what are we doing uh, after we have completed Rain World? Oh, I, this is going to be great. I'm quite excited for this game. Like less so to play it, and more so just to like sit back and listen to Patrick rant because we're finally going and doing another JRPG after what feels like a long time of me feeling too bad to pick well, it's been, one, it's been like 70 episodes been, or something absurd yeah yeah it's been it's been long enough so we're gonna pick i i picked luna because i hadn't played it and i thought it was like it would be fun but i'm gonna just because patrick's i don't know i'm gonna pick something more pedestrian and straightforward so we're just gonna go with final fantasy 7 because it's like the most like i think it's the one that you know the western audience thinks of first when they think of retro jrpgs so we're gonna go with that i tried playing it when i was younger and thought it was okay but never really vibed with it the same way as i did with 10 um i'd love the concept of all the story um i know it quite thoroughly at this point um but I'm kind of curious to know if it holds up years later. Yeah, I'm uh, obviously terrified of this. Um, I'm terrified of becoming the monster that uh, I did become on the Luna episode. Uh, but at least Final Fantasy VII does seem to have a very intriguing world. The world building here is very different from your standard JRPG. It seems to be in some industrialish steampunk setting where you play as an eco-terrorist. And already that setup is pretty amazing. So if the story is good enough, maybe I'll be able to overlook what I'm sure is interesting gameplay, but I guess I'm just going to have to play it and find out. I started playing on the Switch version. I think you started playing on the Steam release. Yes. Um, yeah. The Switch version, if you click in the thumbstick, goes to three times speed, which <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to be jealous of. Probably, but realistically, it's quite a long game, and I'm just not going to finish it on the Switch. And I do want to yeah. finish it. This is a game where you can't get three quarters of the way through and render judgment, I don't think. So I'm, no, I'm going not. to be putting the hours in, you know, putting in my penal time in order to complete the game. I'm quite looking forward to it, actually. When I was a kid, I have this really strong memory of being this like naive child and this was like probably around when the PS3 just came out. Mm -hmm. um, I really wanted to play this game, right? And my mother asked me what I wanted for Christmas and I said this game, mm -hmm. right? And this was like, you know, the PS3 had just started so this, you know, this wouldn't be in stock anywhere in Australia. But mum went you know, around the place asking the game stores for copy of this game. And I can only imagine, like, the blank looks the checkout people would have given her to that request. Like, but you're like I didn't know back then, right? Like, That's so funny. <laughs> so funny. So painful to think And then she got you Final Fantasy X instead? 
Uh, I think I already owned it at that oh, point. Okay. Um, yeah. I'd rented that game enough times from Blockbuster <laughs> she knew. <laughs> Alrighty, so we will see you in three weeks for what will undoubtedly be much pain and suffering for Final Fantasy VII. Well, I mean, we already did that this episode, <laughs> so it's just more of the same, really. Yeah. But see you later, guys. Bye.